What's up, everybody? My name's Dave Jackson, and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video game show where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. And my guest today is a friend of the show and a self-flagellation enthusiast, Chris Nelson. Hey, dude. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, man. Good to have you on this show. You were on the Top 3 show before. Now, welcome to Tales from the Backlog. Yeah, I'm a big fan. This is a fun show. So I listed... Actually, I'm I'm behind a little bit, so I guess I'm not top super number one fan. <laughs> That's all right, man. There's a there's a lot. There's like so many hours of tales from the backlog. Uh, no worries. I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate you listening, and appreciate you as a a person outside of podcast world too. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, today's game that we're going to be talking about is blasphemous which is a 2D Metroidvania game developed by The Game Kitchen and published by Team 17 in 2019. An elevator pitch for Blasphemous, if people are listening and have never uh, heard of it, is it's basically Castlevania, but gory-as-fuck Catholic imagery instead of Dracula's castle. Yeah, mm-hmm. agree yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but before we get into talking about Blasphemous, Chris, what else have you been playing lately, dude? Um, I picked up Death's Door here recently. Um, I haven't got very far into it. And, uh, no spoilers, but I think I'm past the second boss, second or third mm-hmm. boss. Yeah. Um, before that, I was playing this, uh, Blasphemous, obviously, and then Hades. And uh, kind of on your recommendation, I got to get back into Death's Gambit because that uh, the podcast episode and just kind of talking with you, it's uh, it's worth the the second try. Yeah, I think so. I think Death Death's Gambit's a real good game, especially if you're into these like difficult Metroidvania games. I think it's one of the better ones for sure. Um, how are you liking Death's Door so far? It's definitely it's it was. Going from Blasphemous to that, it's kind of been like a change to play style for sure. And uh, I'm like, uh, I'm definitely finding it more difficult than I would have expected. Uh, yeah, it, it's not an easy game for sure. Definitely not. It's, uh, I find myself rolling off of uh, the environment a lot, trying to get away oh, from yeah. enemies and get myself killed. And that mm-hmm. 2.5 isometric is a little bit, uh, I don't know, maybe it's my controllers, but I feel like I'm getting some weird janky kind of rolls. No, I definitely get you like, uh, those, those, uh, uh, like those horde wave challenges, Mm -hmm. they get really, uh, intense and like, you'll be dodging around and dodge, dodge, dodge. And then suddenly you rolled off the level that happened to me a ton of times too. No, absolutely. And if you like, if you don't be aggressive at all and try just kind of rolling away, a lot of times I end up getting just like, mobbed by the amount of enemies they put on Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh like so by the time this episode comes out my episode about death's door will be out too so i've already recorded an episode about it and uh i i don't know retroactive spoilers spoilers for something that will happen in the future but will be in the past by the time anyone can hear this episode we're getting real fucking timey-wimey on uh, Tales from the Backlog today, but I I don't like those uh, wave combat challenges very much, and there's a lot of ways to get frustrated. Like, rolling off the edge is some, and some of them there's just a shitload of enemies at the same time, and 
you can't heal during those and it's uh yeah i wasn't a huge i like the game overall but i don't like those combat waves yeah i i get that it, it's and it's been interesting it's kind of puzzly i was expecting maybe a little bit more zelda out of it yeah. but uh it's uh it's been it's been entertaining i played it i've been playing it in an airport because i've been doing some travel recently so yeah. my skewed the experience a little bit yeah it's definitely zelda ish i think it's more zelda than anything else like you're still doing those puzzles where it's no you know light up all the torches in this room like a like a zelda game would have you doing and stuff like that Um, but it's definitely harder than any zelda game i've played yeah combat wise for sure yeah cool uh yeah, Death's Door. It's it's an interesting game. I thought. It, did you know it's only made by like two people, uh, basically? That's it's pretty uh, pretty impressive when you think about it that way. Um, it's it's kind of short and it's pretty simple and it, you know you're basically doing Zelda stuff, but like the amount of polish on it, I think is really nice for the uh, small amount of people that worked on it. Yeah, it's and it's. Uh... It's one of those games that actually kind of does humor decently well. And uh, for for a small team like that, it's kind of interesting because, like, well, we're playing a Metroidvania, so we'd be remiss to not bring up Hollow Knight. But, I mean, like, Team Cherry's like a team of four. And yeah. I'm this this uh, Team 17, I don't think, is very big either. The uh, the Game Kitchen that developed Blasphemous is, uh, I'm pretty sure they're yeah. a pretty small studio too. Yeah, for sure. So, Cool. Um, you, you, uh, going back to Hades every now and then to check in. Yeah. I pick it up every once in a while. Cause, uh, at this point I have beaten Hades once. Yeah. And that's, that's it. And I know, I don't know if I'll ever get to like the true ending and I spoiled myself on it through your podcast. I, I listened <laughs> to how the, how it ends. Cause I was like, I don't see myself doing that. Like, 16 times or whatever same yeah i just watched it on youtube because i Mm -hmm. i i beat hades once and then i tried like three more times and i i couldn't make it back to hades or like i think i died in the hades fight and i was like i'm not gonna beat this 11 times so i just watched it on youtube there's no shame in that and i said i mean i'm not gonna really mess around with a lot of different weapons i kind of found the one that i liked and if that was going to be the one I was going to beat Hades with, I wasn't going to really try messing around with anything else. Yeah, for sure. Totally get that. Cool. Well, what do you say we get into Blasphemous? Yeah, let's do it. So getting into talking about Blasphemous, which is our focus for today, Blasphemous has some things that can be spoiled, including a story, but also like, I think that the bosses in Blasphemous are something that people should like see for themselves before you hear them, you know, kind of go into those unspoiled. And uh, the story in Blasphemous, just like I've said in every game like this, the 
doles out its story very sparsely. Uh, it said this in the Death's Gambit episode, Hollow Knight, the Dark Souls episode. I I don't follow the story in Blasphemous very well, uh, but we will save like direct story talk until after the spoiler wall. So if you haven't played, no worries. Just uh, be on the lookout for that spoiler wall uh, coming up uh, kind of in the middle of this show. So let's get into Blasphemous. And we always begin the show with our kind of histories with the game, what got us interested in playing Blasphemous, and the guest always goes first. So, Chris, what brought you to Blasphemous? I had, like, seen it around on, like, the Switch store and, like, just kind of scrolling through looking for, like, kind of 2D Metroidvania-style stuff, and I, I'd landed on it a few times and never picked it up. And then, actually, when you reached out and said you want to be on a uh, Tales episode, I said, well, which one are, what, what should we play? And we kind of threw some stuff around and you threw Blasphemous out and it was kind of like, that's definitely one that I haven't played, but I'd like to play it. So that was kind of where I landed with my history on it. And I mean, I'm definitely glad that I played it. So. Yeah. And like, I think when we were talking about games to play, I think we talked about a couple of uh, Metroidvanias. So, like this being a Metroidvania, what's your kind of history with that genre in general? I think the more and more, and maybe it's just because I play a lot exclusively on my Switch nowadays. It's kind of becoming my favorite genre, like probably of all time. Um, I remember playing like Super Metroid on a Super Nintendo as a kid, and like renting it from like a a video store not even a like <laughs> blockbuster like just some mom and pop video store and mm-hmm. renting that game over and over again was kind of pointless because i played the first like two hours over and over again yeah and then i played a few on and off i, I beat metroid dread here recently i played uh fusion back on the i think it was at game boy advanced yep um castlevania stuff all the way back from like the original Nintendo, like Simon's Quest, uh, mm-hmm. which was like Castlevania 2. Um, started to get into some of the like handheld, the again, Game Boy Advance Castlevanias, those mm-hmm. uh, kind of after Symphony of the Night kind of stuff that definitely yeah. like redefined the genre. I think that was kind of what set in stone the Metroidvania was that Symphony of the Night. So. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly those ones. I have played like Ori, and there was one I was trying to think of the other day that I didn't really realize while I was playing it. It was a Metroidvania. I was playing it on the like Xbox 360, maybe. And you're this little rabbit character with a sword. I think mm-hmm. very cartoony, and okay. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, it's not ringing any bells for me either. <laughs> yeah. But it had very, like, looking back, it definitely had some, like, Metroidvania elements, like movement and uh, combat upgrades, stuff like that. So Okay, cool. And we mentioned, you know, we mentioned Hollow Knight earlier, and uh, we mentioned, uh, like, Death's Gambit. So there's definitely a draw there. Um, I'm with you. Like, I don't know. I, f- 
I, I play lots of different like styles of games, but like a good Metroidvania is always going to be like near the top of my uh, favorites. And um, so like I've played through Blasphemous twice. And like the reason I wanted to play this was uh, number one, like I if people say there's a good Metroidvania, I probably will try it at some point. So like there's that. And I saw the, you know, the artwork in Blasphemous and I was like, oh, that's metal as fuck. Like I should, I should move that up the top of the wish list, you know? And, uh, there's some things that connect this with like, uh, Dark Souls and like that kind of Souls-like, um, Metroidvania thing is like deeper into my interests. And we'll, we'll talk about this in the episode, like how soulsy this actually is. It's, it's not super souls-like, but there are things that they've maybe been inspired from like the souls games. And so like all of those things together, if there's like, oh, this game is souls-like and it's a Metroidvania and it's got metal as fuck, uh, like graphics and artwork, then like I'm, I'm in. Um, what's weird though, is I, there's a demo for this game you can download on the the Switch shop and I assume other storefronts too. And I played the demo and I hated it. And I like I didn't buy the actual game until like over a year later. Um I think it it got like a big update that added a bunch of quality of life stuff like uh a fast travel system and stuff like that which I don't believe were in the original build of the game. Uh so when that came out and I heard other people talking about how good it was, I was like, okay, I'll give it another shot. And it just takes some time to get into how kind of slow. And this is like the slowest Metroidvania game I think I've ever played. Um, Definitely a more strategic kind of combat. Right. So it just took me a while to get into it. And uh, for people listening, if you're worried, if you're one, not, well, if you're worried or wondering <laughs> how long this game is, um, it took me 14 hours my first time to beat it with, you know, 80 to 90% completion um, and 12 hours when I replayed it with slightly less percent completion. Uh, I started to do some of the optional stuff and I realized I wasn't really into it, um, but the main game was still really fun uh, on my replay. So that's my play time. Yeah, I was probably closer to 20 because I did sync. I wanted to get the the new DLCs like ending. And there's a lot of stuff in that that's like additional quests and some uh, like backtracking kind of stuff that you have to do mm-hmm. and weird stuff that, I don't know, kind of spoilery. I'm, we might probably talk about it a little later yeah. but so it was about 20 or so for me yeah right on all right so let's get into talking about blasphemous and uh the mechanics of it what else kind of makes it stand out and we're going to start out with like the kind of story s- setup and like i said before i'm not super huge on picking up story in games like this but there is a very interesting uh, setup for it so blasphemous is set in uh uh, is it Sistodia or Custodia? Because it's spelled with a V in the first syllable of the word. I thought yeah. it was Sistodia yeah. or something I, like that. I guess I've been doing it with a, like, just replacing the V with a U. But yeah. then it kind of has a weird name, like Custodia, like Custodian. I don't know. 
Systonia yeah. sounds better. It like it it's spelled C V S T O D I A. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Uh that's not how languages work. So um Sistodia, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sistodia, I'm gonna keep saying Sistodia. Um, is a land of uh, religion, uh, highly influenced by Roman Catholicism, uh, the iconography and Spanish culture, uh, particularly that of the Andalusia region, which is where the game developer is from. They're from Spain. This is a Spanish game development studio. Uh, so this game just wears all of those influences, uh, both from religion and culture, uh, on its sleeve. Before we get into talking about like the game and stuff, I do want to say if you are not averse to subtitles and like reading subtitles, I highly recommend playing this game with the Spanish voice acting. Um, it's just, first of all, it's set in a very Spanish-inspired you know setting, so it makes sense that way. Uh, and I, I like to play games that way if it's not you know too intrusive uh, or if it doesn't have really annoying dialogue. Um, or like really annoying voice acting, uh, what I mean. But in this game, the Spanish voice acting is, it's incredible. It's really, really good. Um, and like, I, I don't speak enough Spanish to like understand it, but you know, I'm, I read subtitles even when I do stuff in English. So it's not a big deal for me. Yeah. You mentioned that to me and I didn't do my homework on that. So I didn't listen to it in the Spanish subtitling, but I found some weird, I was watching some YouTube videos, um, and one that particularly stuck out to me was uh, a one character's voice actor. They must have changed it at some update, because the first one sounds very, like, kawaii anime, like, just bad. And oh, then yeah. the update, <laughs> she's her voice acting is a lot more uh, in sync with, like, the game and how you would expect everyone else to speak. Right everyone else has this very serious, very, uh, you know, melancholy, um, voice acting. And then to have like, basically like a, you know, a Genshin impact character would yeah. be really, it would be really uh, yeah. bizarre. So, um, the land of Sistodia is dominated by this force called the miracle. And you'll keep hearing about this, uh, as you play. And this kind of manifests its, itself in like good ways for people but also horrible and often like super cruel ways um so some characters get blessed by this and many many characters have been cursed in horrible ways uh, by the miracle um, transforming them into these like super twisted uh, creatures yeah it's a really cool kind of like um i don't even know the word for it like set up for why there's monsters in the world mm -hmm. like this whole idea of the miracle and um these like this the high wills which is like god punishing people and them asking to be punished which i think is a very catholic thing yeah <laughs> and there's like this the first miracle kind of that guy becomes part of like their religion and and that just kind of like it sets up a cool backstory for like why the monsters are there which is like i think kind of wears a little bit of its dark souls on its sleeve there a little bit like mm. they're just regular people that are done got turned into bad guys yeah there's a there's a curse afoot and mm -hmm. uh, that's that's why the monsters are there basically um 
Yeah. So this is actually hitting two of my like huge weak spots in like my knowledge base. Uh, number one, picking up on story in games that don't have, you know, cutscenes telling you the story. But also, uh, I don't know shit about uh, Catholicism or uh, religion in general at this point in my life. Like whatever I learned in, in Sunday school when I was a kid is it's all gone now, basically. So like this is just like extreme religious flavor for me and i don't you know i understand like the concept of you know penitence and stuff like that i understand what that means but like if if you are actually catholic you'll probably pick up a whole hell of a lot more from this game than i do and just kind of the way that they they speak too is very like out of the bible like Mm -hmm. a lot of floral phrasing and yeah sentences go on for god awful lengths (laughs) to get like some point across and again even like going through some of the cutscenes that are supposed to kind of be explaining the story they just use so many like penance and uh, all these different words for like punishing and and different allegories for stuff i think in the catholic religion that i yeah, I'm like you. I if if church would have been this metal, I might have I might have gone to it yeah, more. Yeah, for but... sure. Like if I was nine years old going to Sunday school and they like introduced the game Blasphemous and they're like, "Hey, uh, this is this is what this shit's all about," I would have been like, "Oh, okay, May- maybe maybe I'll get into this." <laughs> that um, one. In uh, so in Blasphemous, your main character is called the Penitent One, uh, and in my game, he's called Penitente. As I was playing with the Spanish uh, dialogue, so uh, your character kind of you wake up in this uh, pile of corpses that look exactly like you, which is a great way for any game to start. Um, and uh, you really don't have much direction for a while. You just kind of wake up and. It's a video game, so you run to the right and you start killing stuff, and you'll get some exposition uh, as we go on. Um, but like, that's all you get at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of went back and definitely did some like deep dives into like YouTube stuff, and apparently there was a comic book or something that was done beforehand dude i'm sure that a graphic novel of this would be like really entertaining to uh mm-hmm. to at least see what it looks like yeah and i think they kind of go into what this the penitent one is and like his whole vow of silence and all that kind of yeah. very catholic imagery there yeah you like so the the penitent this isn't like super spoiler like this this isn't actually like told to you in any direct way in the game Uh, you can kind of figure this out but like the penitent one is part of this uh brotherhood who's rebelling against the miracle and they've they've all been wiped out uh except for the penitent one who's taken on uh you know a vow of silence as you said the game begins with uh this this cutscene where this uh this woman basically stabs herself through the heart with this sword Uh, you go and you pull the sword out um you kill the first boss, you take off your big cone helmet, and you fill it with the boss's blood, and then you put it back down on your head, and the blood is, like, rushing out from the bottom of it. It's, if, I mean, and at that point, if if you're not in on, like, 
the visuals and like the theming of this game like I, I don't know what to tell you after that cutscene because that cutscene was the point where i was like oh okay this game is this game is weird as fuck i'm in for this and, and that that took me too long to realize kind of what the like what the idea was there like because you get the your health potions or whatever are supposed to be flasks of blood and he smashes them on his head every time he heals. I'm like, oh, they're, so like they're flasks like, of uh, they're flasks of bile, actually, oh, which yeah. is even even cooler than blood. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, to to heal, he literally he takes these flasks and just smashes them into his face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I said, it's just it's just kind of heavy metal all around. Yeah. So like talking about the the visuals, we'll just continue with like talking about the pixel art in this game, which is like legit some of the best most creative uh pixel art i've ever seen in a game it, it's incredible in this game um, yeah it's it's top notch like some of the best stuff i've seen like definitely pulling from like like castlevania-esque but like ramped up for sure like i rarely did i like look at a character like an enemy or anything and be like what's that supposed to be like yeah. you, you, they got their point across perfectly just about every time. And they all have the the enemies all have such distinct uh designs. Like it, it's not like a well there are enemies that you could relate to like the Castlevania like Medusa heads that fly out or something like that. But it it's definitely not a game where you're just fighting dudes with swords all the time. Like the enemy designs are super creative. They all have like pretty unique move sets that you have to memorize like how this enemy attacks and stuff like that but you know the 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 pixel art especially for like the bosses and the like the main npcs that you meet uh, like so this game does this uh this thing that a lot of uh oh like artwork would do where like if someone is really important they make them much bigger than you and so like um everyone who's designed that way bosses and npcs that are designed that way the the pixel art and just the imagination behind it is is incredible yeah and it, it like um cuz like the first boss you run into is like giant and you're kind of just like okay that's like video game right like right, boss right. much bigger than me but then yeah. like the one of the first npcs you run into is like on his knees still taller than you uh yeah. is it dio dio gracias yeah, Deo Gracias. Yeah. And he's like kind of like your guide, I guess. Yeah. For, he's the one he's the giving you giving you little like clues about what you need to do next and stuff and he'll show up mm-hmm. after you beat a boss and he's got like he's got like his arms bound and yeah. uh, and stuff like that and th- like there's no character design that is not just maximum, you know, suffering uh like illustrated basically. Yeah, and I'm sure if I knew more about, like, religious iconography, there would be some, like, even in, like, the, the enemies, too. Like, there's oh, got to yeah. be some background that I'm just unaware of. Like, the one that comes to mind is, like, a creature that's, like, split down the middle with, mm-hmm. like, a saw, and he, like, throws the saw at you. I got to imagine that's, like, maybe some kind of, like, this is what this type of sinner goes to hell and they yeah. get cut in half by <laughs> saw or something. Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know these these the enemy designs the NPC designs especially the uh, the big bosses they really have to be seen uh, to be believed that someone like came up with this and 
you know, drew it in pixel art and animated the way that it is. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and it, it's, frankly, it's, I think it's the thing that stands out the most, uh, in Blasphemous is just all of these designs and like the vistas in the background too, like they're really, really beautiful. Like at when this yeah. game wants to be, it's a beautiful game. And they, they, they do some cool stuff with like, um, one that comes to mind is when you're on the rooftops and you're running across to, I think the prison or something. And mm-hmm. it, 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 uh, back lights or four lights. I don't know how the, what the term is, but the characters in the foreground are all in black and shadow. And right. then, the custodia, whatever we're calling it is in yeah, the background exactly. and it's like very bright. So it's, it's just a very cool, like cinematic kind of thing that I kind of just popped out of nowhere a little yeah. bit to me. I was like, Oh, well shit, these guys, these guys know art. Yeah, exactly. I took a lot of screenshots in this game and I'm, I'm not like a, I don't take screenshots in every game I play. I'll just say that. And I took a ton of screenshots in blasphemous and I'm going to share some on the tales from the backlog, social media pages, because I'll try not to spoil stuff, but like just to give people an idea of just how beautiful this game actually is. So, yeah. And they kind of um, do in the cutscenes that like Ren and Stimpy thing or SpongeBob where they like get real close to like characters' faces and you can like see every crinkle in their like mm-hmm. mouth and eyes. And yeah. so, like, and that's done in that pixel art still too. So it's like they, they, they paid really close attention. I think they put a lot of love into how at least specifically how these characters looked and the message they wanted to get across. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like, Oh, I just, we, we normally don't spend this much time talking about way the way games look uh, on this show, but I mean, this game deserves that attention for sure. Um, kind of tying in with, uh, visuals, the other half of like creating in atmosphere and, uh, tone is, uh, the music in Blasphemous, which I really like, and it's it's very laid back. Um, the tracks that I'm specifically thinking about that I really like are like these just kind of strumming acoustic guitar uh, pieces in the first several levels that you go through. And uh, these are tracks that I would like put on uh, while I'm like cleaning my house or something like that. They're very easy listening. You know, video game music is easy listening almost by default because it can't distract you from what you're actually doing in the game. So it's kind of designed to be on in the background. Um, but I, I really love those acoustic guitar tracks. There are some uh, some tracks that like, I, I forget what level, what the level is called, but um, the one with all the toxic mist that you're you're jumping from platform to platform that sounded like a Mario like underground uh, song to me. Um, yeah, the the soundtrack doesn't have a ton of like super memorable songs, uh, but I do just love that like easy strumming, um, like acoustic guitar uh, in a lot of the level backgrounds. And that's like nothing like jumped out at me like a like a song that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. But I feel like a lot of that um, was because, like I said, I think maybe the music was kind of pushed to the background because of the visuals a little bit. And they mm-hmm. just wanted something like, you know, lo-fi anime beats to study to. <laughs> and, but lo-fi like, Catholic I remember... beats to study to, which is... <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, 
the one I do recall that stuck out to me was for a weird reason as of the library level. Mm-hmm. Sounded like a Kingdom Hearts song. Um, I think it was Hollow Bastion, which okay. uh, makes me a, a huge dork for remembering that it sounded like a Kingdom Hearts song, and B, <laughs> I don't know, it, it just like you said, the the sewer sounded like Mario, and that sounded like it seems like they kind of maybe drew a lot of inspiration from other stuff, and mm-hmm. like you know your sewer level's got to have this sound, and your library level's got to have this sound. Kind of, it didn't, nothing seemed too, they weren't, I don't think they were like reaching for anything too off the wall. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of tracks that really just set, um, set like a tone in the, uh, in the environment that you're in. It's not like these big Castlevania tracks and it's not it, but it doesn't go so far as like, you know, Dark Souls where there's no music, you know, it's, it is laid back, but it is there and it does contribute to the vibe uh, in the levels. So yeah, you're, you're not getting that like bloody tears or any of those mm-hmm. Castlevania songs that like hit really hard, even though yeah. they were like just little MIDI tunes. Mm-hmm. And I'll put in, uh, of course, as I always do, there will be um, blasphemous music thrown in throughout this episode. So you'll you'll get an idea of what we're talking about with the uh, kind of just how it's used to set tone. Um, so cool. Well, let's listen to a little bit of that blasphemous music. And uh, we are going to talk about the kind of main thing you're doing in blasphemous, which is fighting uh, when we come back. And we're back talking about the combat in Blasphemous. So what Blas- one kind of uh, area where this game receives criticism, as all difficult games do, I feel like, is w- with its difficulty. So, Chris, how did you feel about like the difficulty level of Blasphemous? I'll, it definitely took me by... I was like, I think I was into like the the third or fourth boss, which is like when you're starting to get into like the visages or whatever, mm-hmm. before I felt like I had really like grabbed on to how the mechanics were supposed to work. Because I fought like, I guess technically the like second or something. I mean, the bosses can kind of be played in just about any order a little bit. But there was a Those boss three, that had, yeah. yeah, the boss that had like a, uh, kind of like a deer head and mm-hmm. it taught me everything. It was like the primer for knowing how to like parry and then like counter attack um, for bosses more than like for like regular enemies. And it took me that like five, six tries like to get past that. But as I progressed and like the, you get minor upgrades to the sword and you kind of learn, I put it in quotes like combos, but uh, 
that help out with um, just kind of outputting damage. And it definitely has um, an emphasis on parrying over um, dodging. Yeah. Which I guess kind of took me for a little bit of a loop the first couple bosses. Yeah, so I think that's like your main thing that when you're learning how to play Blasphemous, you got to get a handle on your defense first uh, because you a lot of enemies, you, you, you could kill them in like one full combo, but they're going to hit you before you get a full combo in. So it's like there's not a whole lot of different enemies in each level. Like each level maybe give you like four kinds of enemies to learn. And so you got to learn what they do, but you also have to learn how to uh, block and parry and uh, counter. So you can block basically everything in this game. Um, there are maybe some projectiles that you can't block, but there are some that you can. Um, the main thing is is figuring out the block timing, um, relying on blocking more than dodging, like you said. Like you do have like a slide a dodge that you can use, but you can just block everything. And if you hit that timing right, you'll get a counterattack window that uh, does like much, much more damage than if you just blocked regularly and then attacked with your normal combo. So that's like your main point of emphasis when you're learning is learn how to block, learn how to block with the right timing to get that parry. And like the window for that perfect parry is not very... Um, it's not very tight. It's not very hard. You just have to practice a few times. No, and I I got like one of the uh, like the, the the sword that he has. The Maya Culpa has like mm -hmm. cores. It's just like some upgrade type item, but it like can change kind of how how the the weapon works. And there's one that made like parrying like the window that you parry a little bit longer. So right. if you didn't hit that perfect block, you would still get more time to kind of not have to be as exact and mm. pretty much once i put that one in i never i never experimented with anyone any other ones because yeah same uh so like you mentioned before you you do kind of have attack combos in this game this isn't a game like uh like castlevania where you just swing the sword the the exact same way four times in a row you actually have a, a combo that ends with a big like spinning jumping uh finisher move that does a lot more damage than the first strike in the combo does uh but you have to really set yourself up in a way where you can actually get that full combo in before an enemy will attack so it's a nice uh i i think the combat is simple in blasphemous but i i think it's pretty satisfying uh when you pull off those parries uh, when you get to the end of those big combos you have um some uh, magic attacks too and at the beginning of the game they'll give you like a uh it's like you're throwing a blood boomerang which is metal as fuck um that uses your magic meter and then you'll pick up lots of other magic spells throughout the game and um those are kind of limited use uh you you regain your magic by attacking stuff uh or by doing um execution moves which Sometimes at the end of a combo, an enemy will kind of stand there like like the end of a Mortal Kombat fight, and you go over and press X, and you'll do this extremely graphic uh, and extremely cool 
execution move, that'll refill your magic a lot. And I kind of only used magic as like a, um, okay, this boss is going to be here for a few, a few seconds. I'll pull off this huge magic spell, get a ton of damage in, but like, you can only do that maybe once or twice per boss fight. Yeah. And like the, the whole, I guess you'd call it a stun was a little, it seemed some character or some enemies I could like do a parry and then I knew that was going to be a stun, but other ones, it was like a different set of details or you have to attack in a certain way to get him to stun. Yeah. I, I never, so, I never fully got like to the point where I could predict when that was going to happen. It was just like, you know, Oh, an execution. Okay. Go get that. But I could never be like, okay, here's how to do an execution or like here to set one up. It's, yeah. it's just kind of a nice surprise when it did happen. Yeah. The one that like, the only one that I ever really fully understood was like the characters with the big, like bronze bull heads if you did your like dash move, dash attack through them, it usually stunned them. Okay. Gotcha. And that's like the only one. And it wasn't a hundred percent of the time either. Right. So that's about the only one I figured out. Yeah. And then there's, the same. there's like a, <clears throat> there's a, there's something that they, they, they throw a tutorial at you at the beginning of the game that I didn't really pick up until the end. And I never fully mastered it. It's like a, and it's not anything that you like have to earn through upgrades. It's just when you jump in the air and you like hit the hit your you have to hit your attack and then hold down an attack and yeah. you kind of like juggle yourself in the air. Yeah, so okay, so there's two things. There's a plunging attack uh like, you know, Link in Super Smash Brothers or uh, Zelda 2 mm-hmm. or something like that. You can do a plunging attack and I use that a lot because a lot yeah. of times you're jumping down um, up where enemies are on a, f- a floor lower than you. So I use that plunging attack a lot. The other one is like, are you talking about like the platforming thing where you can hit these like lanterns and kind of like speed boost your way through the air? Yeah. And you can do that on enemies as well. It's really hard. And yes, like, very, very hard. There's, it, it, like, it, it's so finicky that I. It's not like Hollow Knight where you're pogoing and it's very intuitive about how it works. Like there's a couple sections where you need to do it to get to a ledge where an item is. And I kind of tried a few times and succeeded, you know, on a couple of them, but I never fully like understood why I succeeded and why I failed, you know? So I, I, I never like put that into my like, you know, platforming vocabulary. Definitely not. And I, I think I, Maybe by the time I was fighting probably like the last boss Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of try to avoid spoilers there, but you gotta, he's, he's above you more or less. Yeah. And you can kind of do that float move and get a little bit more like time because it's harder to get up to him. So if you can kind of suspend yourself in the air a little bit, you'll get a couple more hits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess if I had been like really confident in that, or even like thinking about that as an option, I would have used it in that final fight, but I, I didn't really. So, uh, let's talk about the bosses while we're on the subject. Um, we already talked about the designs and the pixel art. They are, uh, one of two things. They are either gruesome as fuck or they're weird as fuck or they're both. And, 
Uh, some of them are, uh, yeah, some of them are both. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't want to say anything more because I don't want to spoil what these look like. If you're listening to this and you're, you haven't played Blasphemous and it sounds like you might like it, um, these boss designs, like whenever you see one, you're just like, oh, what the fuck is that thing? You know, like yeah. just incredible imagination here. Definitely. And like, like somewhat tragic sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're kind of like, okay. And like in a little bit of the backstory, you're, you're kind of getting like that these are people or things that were affected by this like miracle. The miracle, so, right. So it's like, well, they're kind of just suffering too, and you're just going to go kick their ass for, you know, funsies? Well, I, uh, I, there's lots of times in video games where someone is uh, clearly having a bad time. In a, I'm in a position, or at least in my head canon, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take care of you and put an end to all this because you're, you're clearly not enjoying the way life is right now, uh, which definitely goes for some of these bosses. Um, yeah. I think the uh, variety as far as like gameplay with the bosses is really good. Um, some of them are duels with like characters your size or like, you know, dudes with swords basically or dudes with, you know, melee weapons or, or ladies with melee weapons. Um, some of them are big monsters like we talked about before, um, like you would expect in a Castlevania or a, um, you know, a 2D Souls-like game. Some of them are straight up like this is a Castlevania boss, you know, room full of projectiles and stuff like that. Uh, the variety, I, I want to say there's maybe 10 bosses in the game, uh, and the variety of them uh, is really good. I, I really enjoyed, I, uh, let me think. Yeah, I think, I think the first boss you talked about, that's just like a big goat dude. Um, <laughs> or no, like the tutorial boss, which is just like a big, you know, monster thing yeah pretty standard there's another one that's just like a big goat looking dude who looks cool but it's not a very interesting fight the rest of them i think are really really cool and it's cool how like you rarely fight two bosses that feel like hey this is like the other one you know yeah and like you kind of like you mentioned like a lot of them wear their castlevania on the sleeve like big room filling bullet hell kind of uh monsters that you don't really feel like you're interacting with them more like you're interacting with the stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you've got the real like personal, like you're, you know, mano a mano with this, uh, like I said, like a duel. And I, I think I found those ones more interesting than the, than the big, big, big monster mans. I, I found most of the ones that I, I recall, like when I was like going through a list to get kind of, bosses in my head for this game most of the ones that i bring up are those kind of smaller dual fights mm -hmm. those ones definitely i i think all the bosses are like well made from a you know development standpoint like the the hit boxes all feel pretty fair um even those big like bullet hell ones like it's there are Castlevania bosses where like the room is legitimately full of shit and Metroid too, where you just can't avoid the stuff that's on the screen. It's not like that in blasphemous. There's always a safe place, even in those uh, more bullet hell inspired bosses. Um, and then yeah, 
uh, projectiles can be like hit back mm-hmm. at like bosses and stuff. So it's like you got to kind of learn the difference between the one you got to jump and the one that you can hit. But yeah. it never feels unfair. Like, right. well, I, how was I supposed to know that? They kind of, yeah, they give you a little bit of a just maybe, and maybe this is from a experienced uh, gameplay or video game player that mm-hmm. you just kind of you can catch that, like, oh, this is this is what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah, and it's really fair, and I think a lot of the bosses are really intuitive um, about like what you're supposed to do, and uh, they're. I think on my replay, there was one boss that took me over 10 tries and uh, on my first play. And then on my replay, I don't think any of the bosses took me more than three or four tries. And I first tried about half of them. So I don't I don't think these bosses are like a huge difficulty spike from just the regular enemies in the game. Um, yeah, they, they feel pretty good. There's there's a couple that I'm thinking of that are definitely hard, but like when I replayed it, I remembered you know how to beat them, um, mm-hmm. so it, it wasn't so bad. Yeah, like I said, I think by like third or fourth boss, I was taking most of them out in first try or second try, and a lot of my second tries were like just some dumb mistake where I fell off the level because there's a couple that kind of have like options like that where you can like it's like a scrolling level and you fell mm-hmm. off and you messed up there or um you get caught in an area like with like kind of that bullet hell thing where or like a full aoe kind of room attack and you're like you're just always in the wrong spot so you get hit and then bounced and then hit and then bounced and then you're like oh well crap yeah. that's that's because I was in the wrong space at the wrong time. And then it just cascaded until I was dead. Yeah. should mention that, uh, this, this game does have knockback like a, uh, you know, Castlevania game does. Uh, however, in most cases, uh, cause this game also has a uh, instant death pit, uh, spike pits. Yeah. Um, yeah. in most cases that knockback will not knock you off of a ledge. It will, knock you to the edge of the ledge even if you're really close to it and so that's a really nice like we'll talk about the spike pits when we talk about the uh the the platforming and stuff um but that is a nice kind of you know thing where the developers are saying like you know if you jump if you miss a jump and you fall in the spike pit you die but if you get you know tagged by something it's most of the time it's not going to knock you off that ledge into it i that's just a nice little thing so Um, I mentioned before this game has some similarities with Souls-likes, uh, 2D Souls-likes, um, and, like, a a lot of these things are, some of these things are not, you know, specific to Souls-likes, but, um, this game does kind of have a reputation as being a little bit, uh, Souls-y in the combat. So, the things that I wrote down here are that the, uh, enemies, basically all of the enemies have very big windups, uh, or they only have a couple of moves. So you, you have to learn what each enemy does. And once you do the, uh, the enemies in the levels are probably not going to kill you a whole lot. Uh, once you learned up, once you learn what they do, um, I, this is the kind of difficulty that I like where like, you know, 
this enemy, the first time I saw it, really fucked me up. But uh, I learned what it does. Now I can just block that attack. I know that attack is coming, and I'll never die to that enemy again once I figure out uh, what it's doing. Yeah, and um, like you said, that's very... It kind of wears its souls like a little bit there in that um, if you play dumb on a basic level enemy, you could end up getting yourself killed just yeah. being like trying to move too fast or not following kind of the, the I don't know, the strategy that they've told you works. Yeah. Um, the the basic enemies are probably not going to kill you, but they, they will take away your health. And it's like a super precious uh, resource with the way that the the health system works in Blasphemous. So this is actually very uh, similar to Dark Souls, where you have your checkpoints uh, that you rest at, and you heal by using those bile flasks, like we said. Like we said, he the penitent one literally smashes them into his face, uh, these glass bottles. Um, and uh, you have a limited number uh, of heals, and there is really no way to heal uh, without using those flasks. So like, it's like the Estus flask, basically, where if you have four of them, they're saying, okay, you can, you know, make four mistakes as you're going through, and then you can heal with these things. Uh, the interesting thing, though, with the bile flasks is that you have an option through an NPC in the game to sacrifice one flask to make all of the other ones stronger. And so I think throughout the game, you'll find maybe eight or nine bile flasks, something like that. And you can choose to sacrifice, I think, four of them, maybe five, maybe three, something like that. So you kind of can customize, like, do I want to be able to heal, you know, eight times and have it be like a, you know, kind of a weak heal, but, you know, top myself off, you know, that kind of thing. Or do I want to sacrifice these and have be only able to heal four or five times, but it's a really strong heal. And I, I kind of like this, um, kind of like this system. I think it's like, number one, there's a, there's a quest with that NPC to reinforce the flasks and sacrifice them. So I think the game is telling you, you should do that. And also like a lot of the bosses don't give you a ton of opportunities to heal. So like having nine healing chances is not super helpful, uh, as opposed to having five, but they're really strong. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of a no brainer to do it, but I do like that the choice is there. Yeah, it's it's nice that like you could kind of go to play style. Like, do you want to you know constantly be you know checking on your health, or do you want to just kind of maybe be able to bust through a couple flasks when you're like, oh, I'm like right at the end here. Yeah. Or do you want to kind of strategize when you're gonna heal? Like, if if I can make it through this set of attacks, I can tank it a little bit and then get mm -hmm. my heal, and then. Uh, move on with like get myself positioned for the next you know kind of volley of attacks that the spe specifically kind of talking more like about the bosses than anything else right and another thing about that is like a lot of times if you don't time it correctly or if you choose the right if you if you choose the wrong time to heal you'll heal but you'll get hit while you're healing and so like it can negate your heal so having a really strong uh healing flask 
will maybe you'll get hit by something but you'll still end up uh, healing more than you lose during that attack so again i think it is really really useful to do that sacrificing plus the npc quest is fucking bizarre and you got to see it yeah no no spoilers on that one but it is freaking <laughs> yeah. weird but we'll just say like you you may be presented with that choice of saying like sacrifice one of your uh, healing charges and you may think like oh that doesn't sound good but I, I think you should uh, for all of the reasons we just talked about. And there's like an item cost and a money cost, which I guess we haven't really talked much about the, the right. tier system. But I mean, it's like you said, souls or. But it's different. It's different from the Dark Souls way because you don't lose your currency yeah. when you die in Blasphemous, which is really, again, instant death pit spikes are something that I'm not a huge fan of, but you don't lose your currency in this game like you. you like you might, you know, in another game like this. So, um, yeah, your souls and your hollow knights and right. Exactly. Stuff like that. Uh, the other thing that I wrote down that, you know, ties in with the healing system and also the kind of souls like nature, it's a very light souls like in blasphemous, but when you rest at checkpoints, you refill all of your bio flasks, but all of the enemies respawn. So this is not like a Castlevania where, you kill all the enemies, you leave the screen, then you go back and the enemies are back. They stay dead in Blasphemous until you rest, and then they respawn. So um, I think I've seen a challenge on YouTube, like a a, a speedrun challenge to uh, kill all the enemies in the entire game to basically despawn the whole game. Yeah. Sounds like that's, that's sicko stuff, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And that is the way that it works. So yeah. another kind of a souls, you know, parallel thing uh, in blasphemous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but what blasphemous really is uh, at its heart is it is a Metroidvania and it's much more on the Vania side than the Metroid side. Uh, I think, uh, Metroids to me are really about like uh, movement stuff, especially as you get uh, new abilities that give you, you know, uh, speed boost and shine spark and, you know, double jump and grapple beams and all that. That's Metroid stuff. This is much more Castlevania. Like, um, you don't really get movement upgrades in this game. Um, you pick up items that act as kind of uh, Metroidvania upgrades. So like there's an item that causes these invisible platforms to appear. And if you have that item, uh, equipped, then you can go into this area that was blocked off before there's an item that lets you walk in toxic mist, you know, stuff like that. But this isn't the like double jump shine spark, um, you know, infinite jump, like some, uh, Metroidvanias will give you. It's definitely not like that. Uh, so it, it's much more Castlevania, I think, even though Castlevania does give you double jumps and stuff like that. Yeah, I I yeah, fully agree with that. Like, because the movement upgrades don't like integrate into combat even like, yeah, really at all. Um, like a lot of your more modern Metroidvanias do like I keep bringing up Hollow Knight, but like that like took like combat and and platforming to like they they mix so well together mm -hmm. like it's like almost like i think you guys even mentioned it in your hollow knight episode like all of a sudden hollow knight can become a freaking super meat boy level and yeah. you're not gonna run into that at all 
in the well, there is one, there is some instances of it we'll talk about later that mm-hmm. totally suck, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of my like things for like my favorite Metroidvanias will do that where you get these movement upgrades and they're not just, or you, you get your Metroidvania upgrades and they're not just like keys to open a door that was locked before. They got to be useful in combat too, to really hit that high, high level. And the, uh, blasphemous upgrades don't really do that. They're more for like, um, revisiting areas uh to get treasure basically that's that's really all they're for yeah it does feel just like a key basically yeah but uh as the metroidvanias do blasphemous has a big uh, map that is very uh interconnected and i think the interconnection is like really really good uh in this game each area is is connected to like at least two other areas either by uh, fast travel points or like just straight up doors, um, or elevators. And Mm -hmm. this is a, if I'm remembering the right, the map, right. It's a very like, uh, it's basically a square. Um, and so there's a lot of like verticality to the map too, but they use these elevators to connect, uh, the points really, really well. And so there are points where you have to backtrack from like one corner of the map to the other, but it's not as, It's not fun, I don't think. Like, you know, movement in Hollow Knight or in Metroid Dread is really fun. Uh, It doesn't feel that way in Blasphemous. Like we said before, you move really slow. But they do help out a lot with those fast travel points and those elevators. So it doesn't take you forever to get to a point unless you're going to some really obscure portion of the map. Yeah, and like... um, Like you say, with like Hollow Knight and some of... And Dread, Dread specifically, like running around in dread felt felt awesome mm-hmm. but uh like dashing honestly didn't even feel like you were moving that much faster in blasphemous and like there's like some items that can like increase your general run speed i think and also like decrease the amount of dash that you have but like they don't feel like they integrate into bosses that well so i'd never really wore them mm-hmm so it's like unless it can like be have multiple uses it just sucks to be like constant like well i gotta get to the other side of the map let me put on my running gear and then if i run into a boss oh crap i guess you can only change some of that stuff out at checkpoints checkpoints, right yeah it's not really a game where like the hollow knight uh this this has a similar thing to hollow knight where you have a, a rosary uh rope and you can equip different rosary beads that give you different effects, um, similar to the you know the Hollow Knight badge or charm system. But like you said, like in Hollow Knight, I had a I had my exploring build with the badges or the charms, and then I had my boss fight build basically. And in this game, I just I kind of just kept the same stuff equipped the whole game, unless I found like a better version of one I already had equipped. Yeah. Especially with the rosary there. Cause there was definitely like at least four items that were just does like minorly protects and majorly protects. Yeah, and, exactly. You yep. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and it's like, it's like, okay, this, this boss I'm fighting has a bunch of lightning attacks. Let me throw on the lightning defense rosaries and stuff like that but it's it's definitely not the 
uh, it's not a game where you're going to create these like really crazy builds. Um, I'm sure that there's some that can like synergize with magic. And like, if you want to use the different magic spells, I always just use the magic spell that is like kind of, you know, beams coming down from the sky that kind of fill up the screen. And that was always my like, oh shit, a lot of enemies on screen right now. Let me just hit that. And I just kept that equipped for the entire game. Been messing around with one or two other ones, really. And one of them was like a, uh, like a, uh, not quite Bloodborne, but like you, if you hit an enemy, you get some of your HP back, but definitely not like in Bloodborne where you got to do it fast, but it's mm-hmm. just like on a timer. Like you get 30 seconds and, you know, if you pop your spell right before you're not going to get, you know, you're going to get a combo, you kind of get a, it's definitely not nearly as much as like a flask, but you get a little bit of health back. Yeah. Could be helpful for sure. I don't know if I used it very effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just didn't I didn't really poke around with many of the spells uh, that much because that that lightning spell or that like, you know, beams from heaven spell, whatever it's called, was it's really powerful. And uh, mm-hmm. I just just kept it equipped as like a, you know, panic button type thing most of the time. Yeah, and it's like a room like damn near full room level. So even in like boss fights where you're like kind of stuck in a situation, you mm-hmm. kind of hit your oh shit button a little bit. Yeah. Yep, for sure. In uh, the kind of Metroidvania fashion, you're doing a lot of platforming in Blasphemous, although it's it's simple uh, platforming. There's only a few things that you're that you're really doing with platforming. There is um, a kind of a you can like hang on ledges, uh, and there are lots of jumps where you you're not going to be able to jump on top of the platform, but you'll be able to you know mantle up. Um, there are certain sections of the game where you're not doing a wall jump, but you can like stick your sword into a surface and just kind of like hang there. And then you can jump up and repeat to kind of climb up walls. And, um, oh, there's sections where you're dealing with, you know, strong wind that you can either, you have to wait for the wind to die down or use it to your advantage to help you jump farther. But that's really the extent of the platforming, but you are I feel like you are doing platforming a lot and this is another big criticism of the game that we've mentioned before is there are a lot of instant death uh, spikes in the game. And like, there's a lot of people I've talked to who like they, they like other parts of the game, but instant death spikes are like a, a huge demerit uh, for them. So what do you think about them? Definitely those ones, like the, the spikes suck. But I kind of, it's like you, you do it the one time and then hopefully you don't do it again because, pl- like you said, the platforming is not terribly difficult. But it's definitely, it kind of goes back to like older Castlevanias. But the ones that kind of got me were like the pitfalls because there was ones that were immediate death mm-hmm. and some that like led to like a secret area or something. So it's like that one you kind of had to play a little bit of like gambling with like you know 50 50 chance here maybe i find something cool maybe it's just death and with a game that kind of has a, a a fairly substantial penalty on death i guess like the the whole guilt meter thing 
All right. Yeah. Should have mentioned that uh, when we were talking about what happens when you die. You don't lose your souls, yeah. but your magic is handicapped. You'll lose a bit of your magic meter um, until you you can visit a part to kind of like, uh, like, this is my Catholic ignorance here, but like you'll, you know, be absolved of your guilt um, and then your magic meter will go back to full, kind of like how Dark Souls 2 does it with your health. Uh, when you die but in this game it's your magic which isn't as isn't as bad but i agree uh those those pitfalls also suck uh, there's a metroidvania upgrade you need to do that yeah. you have to kind of puzzle out like like a lot of the elevator shafts you'll like ride an elevator up and you'll see something along the ride and there's no way to get to it except to jump down and mm -hmm. if you don't have that item you'll just die straight up uh, but if you have the item you can get down there um, and you got to kind of like look at the map like is there something below me on the yeah, map exactly maybe? yep um with that so with that and the instant death spikes i i didn't like fall in the spikes a whole bunch like i didn't they're there and like it, it's not you're not doing like super complex platforming above rows of spikes a lot of times the most the game will have you do is like jump and grab onto a ladder and there are spikes below the ladder, you know. But what does kind of suck is that there are uh, kind of long distances between checkpoints, and so you'll you'll go through, you know, six, seven, eight rooms through a level. Something happens, you fall in the spikes, you die. And I would rather die fighting an enemy than just an instant death uh, pit. There are a couple of um, like combat encounters where the doors lock and then you're in a room that has like these you know pitfalls in it and uh the like the floors crumble and stuff like that and that kind of sucks to fall down those but overall this was like it, sure it's annoying to fall in a death pit but it was not a you know it was not a fatal flaw for the game or anything even close to that and like i said before you, you get knockback when you get hit, but they programmed it in so that if you get hit next to an edge, it will usually not knock you off the edge and into those spikes, which is a nice, nice thing to kind of take the, the, you know, take the sting away from that. Like a game without like no double jump or like air dash or anything like that to where you're like, you see, you're going to mess up. You're like, oh shit, I'm about to fall on these spikes and yeah. you can have an active reaction to that with this game, not having any of that. You're kind of like you're, you're relegated to your fate a little bit. You're like, well, fuck, I'm about <laughs> to fall in this goddamn spike pit. Yeah. Yeah. You, there, there's some times where you, you have to jump and you, you have to jump and grab the ladder and you'll like, you'll miss the ladder and then you'll fall for like two seconds. And you're like, Oh, well, I hope there's no spikes down there. Oh, yep. Spikes. Okay. Yeah. Well, the last thing about Metroidvanias uh, to mention is uh, a good Metroidvania will have you go back and explore uh, with your new abilities, and uh, the exploring should give you nice uh, treats, I think, in a good Metroidvania. So in Blasphemous, you'll find those rosary beads like we talked about before. Uh, most of them give you uh, passive buffs. You will get uh, rosary knots, uh, to add to your uh, your rope to equip more beads. That's always cool to find. They're pretty rare, but it's really awesome to find one. Um, you'll find new prayers, which are your magic spells. 
and you'll find items for side quests. And I think those are all good rewards. The problem with Blasphemous, though, is that this was a Kickstarter game. And so at least half of the things you find are going to be these bones. They'll say, like, you know, clavicle of, you know, Diculus. And uh, it's a Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Kickstarter um, reward, basically. And those like the lore descriptions of them are pretty cool, but like sometimes you'll go through a tough platforming thing and you'll, or you'll figure out like some kind of light puzzly thing to get to an item. And then it's a bone and you're like, ah, okay. Okay. Fine. You know? So it's not very satisfying uh, a lot of times when you find those bones, but the other stuff that you find is, uh, is cool. Yeah, and I think eventually, like, and I don't think it was until their last DLC that the bones really even did anything. It was purely lore and, like, a Kickstarter backer reward. So it'd be cooler if you'd, like, there's the ones with the little babies and the lanterns. Right. And you hit those, and that does eventually lead to something with, like, a reward at the you end. You get a good reward for that too. So you mm-hmm. when you see those uh those little cherubs um in yeah. the glass cases, you you should get those. Uh I mean, they're cute. Get them out of those glass ca- those glass boxes anyway. Uh but there is a really good reward for you don't have to get all of them. I think you you maybe have to get like 2 thirds of them. I think there's 38 and you need to get, you know, 15 or 20 of them to get the reward, I think. Yeah, 20. Something if I like that. Right. Yeah, and if you're if you're just playing the game normally, you should get at least twenty of them because you'll just see them, and it you just have to hit a magic spell to get a lot of them. Yeah, it's easy. yeah. It took me a minute to realize that, like that the magic spells and your boomerang work to get those. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times you'll you'll go into a room and there'll be one just like floating at the top of the screen. There's no way to get to it, so you got to use a spell that has some vertical reach to it, uh, but. Yeah, those are cool, but um, yeah, exploration rewards range from very cool to the bones, but I guess like we we can just say like part of one of the DLCs is if you collect enough of the bones, uh, you'll you'll get an extra boss fight, yeah. and uh, so you, you should collect the bones, and you when you see an item it's just a glowing you know sphere you don't know what it is so you'll probably pick them up anyway so collecting the bones has like an end goal to it in one of the dlcs which i think is smart by them the first time i played it it's literally just you're picking up kickstarter rewards uh that boss fight's really fucking hard though so like it's not like i got this really fun thing out of it yeah and um we can talk about the DLCs now. So, what, yeah. what are you, you going to say something about that boss? Well, that that boss definitely it, it leads into, and I'll talk definitely more about it in the spoilers. But it's a it's a difficult difficult boss, and uh, but it it leads it's part of a quest line that leads to the like ending that came with the last DLC. So, mm-hmm. you you have to do it to get that. So it's like. A, collecting all the bones on top of beating a very hard boss that only gives you part of the item, quest item, to complete this whole big, long, convoluted thing, which, like I said, I'll talk more about in the spoiler section, but uh, it's, um, 
it's yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good DLC. The I think the this last yeah, Wounds of Evan Eventide, Eventide, however right. you want to pronounce that. And they're all free, so you can't really complain about free DLC. Right. Yeah, they're they're free. So the the Wounds of Eventide, which is the most recent uh, DLC release, adds two extra bosses into the game and a new level. Um, so this is cool that they're giving you more bosses and a new level. However, I thought that I thought it was too hard, just straight up, too difficult for me. Um, I fought the one boss that you can fight after doing all the um, the bones and. I, I feel like that boss has like three times the HP as the final boss. So like, like I just, you know, and she hits really, really hard. It just wasn't very fun. And, uh, same thing with, you know, that extra, uh, area. Oh, I God. actually, um, I actually counted because I thought this was ridiculous. So my sword was fully upgraded. I went to that extra area and the regular enemies in the area take 15 hits to kill each uh, with a fully upgraded sword. And they can kill you in about two hits. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was way too hard. Um, with the with the kind of movement and the defensive you know, abilities you have, one of the attacks that hits super hard, you can't block. Uh, so... Yeah, I just thought it was too hard, straight up. So I, I kind of tested it out a little bit, and then I was like, nope. Yeah, and the the reward, if you want to call it that, at the end of that, is another boss fight. Yeah. That was not too much spoiler, I guess, but visually cool, but not really that difficult. Well, it's in the trailer for the DLC, yeah. so I don't... We can say it's like a giant snake, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. like, I saw that and I was like, I would love to fight a giant snake in Blasphemous. But the level leading up to it was too difficult. Um, I mean, I'm sure if I if I want to spend two hours trying to get to it, I could have, but I didn't want to use my time that way. And that was kind of the disappointing part about it. Like, I spent, like, like an hour or something dying multiple times trying to just get to the fight. And then you get to the fight and it was, I think I... I think I one shot it. Oh. So it was not a hard fight. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a big fan. I, I mean, I, these are all like end game challenge things. So like, if you're the type of person who likes to do end game challenge stuff, then this could be cool for you. But like, that's not really my thing in any game, really. I mean, in hollow Knight too, like I said that in that episode, I didn't do most of the end game challenge stuff there. That's just not the kind of thing I like doing. So you say it all the time, but that like the Pantheon thing in hollow Knight is like straight sicko stuff. Cause it's like, not only does it make the bosses more challenging, but then you have to take on these, like, I can't even remember what they call them, but basically it's like, Oh, your sword does half damage and they do double damage and you can't yeah. do this. And that. It's like, <laughs> come the fuck on. Yep. Uh, there's another DLC called uh, Strife and Ruin, which is a boss rush uh, mode or has a boss rush, boss rush mode. Um, I have never, ever done a boss rush in a game. It's just not something that I think is interesting. Uh, but if you like that, here's a boss rush. There's also something in that DLC called Miriam's Challenges, which is the protagonist from Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, uh, another Metroidvania game. 
she gets trapped in your world and you have to do these platforming challenges. They are extremely hard and the time limits are really tight. Like I did one of them. I thought I aced that challenge. Like I thought I did it perfectly. Like there's no way I could have done it better. And I got through with like literally half a second to spare. And that like, so the next time I came up on one and I saw like, okay, it's a harder platforming challenge. I remember how tight the time limit was on the last one. I'm just not doing this. That was, you know, my decision. (laughs) Yeah, I, I did. I think I completed two and got to the third one and just, I was like, this is, this is not worth my time. And, um, I actually played that game, uh, and didn't actually get very far into it. So I don't really know much about it. So maybe it's cool for fans. I guess that's kind of what it was, like a tie-in kind of thing. Yeah. So, but as a DLC, I mean, I think this was, I don't know if this was their first one. And it was just something they kind of got out quick because the Bosros mode's pretty easy to add into a game. I think, I guess I don't know that for sure. But, uh, and then this was like a tie-in and I just, yeah. yeah, I came up and maybe I just needed to get good, but I didn't feel like wasting the time. Well, it's a major um, tie-in with like the Castlevania roots of Blasphemous because the, the you know, the, the main creative force behind Bloodstained is Koji Igarashi, the guy who worked on a lot of those old Castlevania games. So yeah, he's like Symphony of the Night's like composer. Symphony of the Night close. and, uh, and past uh, like yeah. the Game Boy Advance ones and stuff like that, as far as I know. So it's another one where they're like, you know, their inspirations. Uh, I'm sure it was very cool for them to have that in the game, but it didn't end up being very fun for me. Um, yeah. The last DLC is called The Stir of Dawn, uh, which added a new game plus and it added like new content in the new game plus. Like you have to do a new game plus to see this new stuff. And I tried this on my second uh, playthrough because I had already beaten the game and I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, start that new game plus. Uh, But in my opinion, the new game plus is terrible in this game and like not fun in the slightest uh, because it's like you said, enemies hit twice as hard and you are twice as weak. And so like the basic dudes at the beginning of the game would take like, over 10 hits each to kill and they would kill you in two hits like just these you know skeletons at the beginning of the game and so i played this for oh maybe an hour or so and i was like this sucks and i started a new game and i was like oh holy shit these guys die in three hits like they should they're the you know the the skeletons at the beginning of the game so fun again I, i i mean I'm coming off like I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty down on all of these DLCs. Um, it's cool that it's there and it's cool that it's free. Uh, but you know, the, the challenge areas in the wounds of Eventide, I thought were too hard, uh, for me personally. Um, the new game plus is like ridiculously hard. I think, uh, it's, it's basically for masters of the game and, uh, the, boss rush and stuff. I just don't like boss rushes. So, you you know, there is stuff for people who like different things than me. I get that. Uh, just not for me. And like that stir of dawn added like, uh, these like additional penances you could do. Mm -hmm. And if like they had maybe just kept it to those, like 
don't do the sponginess, don't do the extra dam or take away the extra damage. There's like one that like turns your HP bar into just like orbs, so you can only do a certain amount of hits instead of like damage. Mm-hmm. And like ones that make it to where you've got to use the magic more because your sword's weak. Or yeah. ones that like, I think there's one that even makes it to where enemies respawn every room, like a traditional Castlevania. So like, if you could do that instead of just spongy bosses and really weak sword hits, you would maybe have more, I would maybe have more fun with it. I never even tried it. That would be a more interesting challenge than, you know, each skeleton takes literally 30 seconds to fight, you know, Mm. uh, that would be more, more interesting to me. So, yeah, cool. Well, let's take a little music break here. When we come back, Chris and I are going to give our final thoughts about Blasphemous and do we recommend and stuff like that. back so final thoughts about blasphemous in summary chris what do you want to say to the listeners about blasphemous i it's it's a definite yes for me because i'm a metroidvania fan i don't know if it's like essential play like you gotta play this game like i would say and i i like i said it's it's because it's the king of the modern (laughs) metroidvania but hollow knight is a must play yeah. Like even if you don't like Metroidvanias, you got to play that game. It's 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 amazing in all respects. This one might not land on that list squarely, but if you're a Metroidvania fan, it's it's a definite play. And I picked it up on the Switch for like less than 30 bucks. So, and with the free DLCs, like Yeah. If you think 20 hours or more and if you're into stuff like boss rushes and like new game plus with additional bosses, I mean, you could you get your money's worth for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like I think at this point in time, it goes down to like ten bucks on sale on the Switch. So if you want to just throw it on your wish list and wait for that price, I, I think this is a really good game. And like I played it through twice, and I I wanted to talk about it on the show. Uh, the the new game, like the you know the base game. And the all the stuff included in that I think is pretty good. And the image the imagery and the music is, you know, it sets up this really unique atmosphere that not many games uh like I said before, not many games have as creative use of pixel art and stuff like that as blasphemous. And I think that the difficulty of the main game, like it's a it's tough, but it's tough in that way that like older games would require or like a souls game or hollow knight or something like that. Like you, you can't just like button mash your way through this game, but I don't think it's that hard if you take the time to learn, you know, how the combat system really works and stuff like that. So I'm kind of the same as you. I would recommend this to people who like Metroidvanias, people who like Castlevania. Um, 
Catholics. I would recommend this to Catholics as required <laughs> reading as part of your uh, religious studies. Um, and yeah, yeah, just a, you know, a good game. Um, who doesn't have time for more good games with wild, just like wild character designs and stuff like that? It's pretty good. Dan, I don't, um, I mean, for a game that you die pretty substantial amount in, I never really found myself outside of like one instance where I'm like, uh, I just got to put this down because I'm, yeah. I'm going to get mad if I don't. Yeah, like, I never never hit a point where I was like, fuck this game, I'm done with this, you know, mm-hmm. which uh, a couple of Castlevania games have gotten me to that point. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of Castlevania games were so frustrating at points that I literally, I just put them down and never played them again. Blasphemous never, ever got to that point. Except Super Metroid was like, you know, that's like the the holiest of holies, and you were kind of like, ah, I'm, I'm done at about halfway point. Yeah, I'm... I've said it several times. I'm not the biggest fan of Super Metroid, um, and uh, yet to me, it's not the holiest of holies. It was dethroned by uh, well, lots of other games within the genre that I think are better. But this is not the Super Metroid podcast. Um, you can wait to listen uh, for more of my Metroid thoughts uh, when I cover Metroid Dread here in the near future. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, do a little housekeeping before spoiler time. So if you are going to tap out and play Blasphemous, uh, or if you just don't want spoilers, thank you for listening. And if you would like to support Tales from the Backlog, the best thing to do is to subscribe and leave ratings and reviews. Leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and uh, Podcast Addict, I think, has ratings and Spotify and If your platform allows it, please leave a rating for Tales from the Backlog. I also do another show. It is called A Top 3 Podcast. Chris was a guest on one of those episodes. We talked about top three bands or musicians that you slept on, and that was a really fun episode. So go check that out. And uh, we have lots and lots of other topics too. So if you would like to uh, hear more of me, check out A Top 3 Podcast. Also, get into the Tales from the Backlog social media pages. Links are in the episode description. Feel free to talk to me about Blasphemous. Share your favorite screenshots from Blasphemous. Um, We can talk about how wild this stuff is. And if you had a good experience with some of those things that I was not so happy about, like the DLCs and stuff like that, or New Game Plus, tell me about it. Uh, I would like to hear other opinions about that stuff. So... For now, we are going to take a little break, and when we come back, it's spoiler talk for Blasphemous. with Chris Nelson talking about spoilers for Blasphemous. And we're going to talk about the things that, well, things that I kind of take from these games when I play them, specifically talking about the bosses and then like what kind of ending we got, because there are multiple endings in the game. So um, I'll just turn it over to you first. 
to give uh, your one of your favorite bosses? So um, I guess the one that comes to mind is, uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this, Kurice, Kurice, Q-U-I-R-C-E. Kurice. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, he's like this fire man that lives in a prison. And uh, I think uh, it reminded me of like Mega Man boss fights. And I know you've kind of mentioned before in the past that you're not a big Mega Man guy, but like <laughs> I am not. You got kind of got a small rectangular room. The boss kind of teleports around and attacks mm-hmm. you from the walls, and like you just got to kind of learn the pattern and then rinse and repeat a little bit. Yeah. So it it definitely kind of went back to that like fight style, the Mega Man, and I grew up playing like Mega Man X and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, that that boss was like maybe more so than a lot of the bosses in uh, Blasphemous. That boss was just like a a fucking video game boss, you know, like a lot of some of the bosses in the game are like really good, like dual styles or like, you know, fight a big monster type bosses. And this one was just like, like you said, I think Mega Man's a good comparison for this guy, just a video game ass video game boss. Um but really fun to learn the patterns uh, for sure. Yeah. The way that that kind of lands too is like, it is basically like you get to the end of the prison level and you get boss where some of the other ones feel a little bit more kind of integrated into the world. Yeah. I was never quite sure when I was going to get a boss. Like it was always kind of a surprise when I found a boss room. Um, But yeah, this one, because if I remember right, you have to, you go through the prison level, you go through like a couple different screens that you're going through those doors through, and then you'll find one that kind of looks like it's the it's the last one. Um, actually, that boss, uh, you see an item, and when you go to jump for it, the floor collapses and you fall down yeah. into the boss room. But, but it is after kind of like a, a final stretch looking thing. Yeah, you've like... Yeah cleared out most of the rest of the map and you're like, well, this is the last place I can go on the map from what I can see. Yeah. And yeah, then you just fall down into a pit and he's down there yep. shooting fire at your face. Yep. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, one of my favorite bosses uh, is called Our Lady of the Charred Visage. And uh, this is, oh man, the first time I saw this, she's, if you're listening to this and you haven't played the game or you forgot uh, she is the floating head uh, with the section of exposed brain uh, in her forehead. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, as soon as you see that, you're like, oh, smack the brain. Of course, that's how I'm going to kill this boss. <laughs> and yeah. This is a and like, go ahead, dude. And like you like her. It's like a burnt face. Like, yeah. And like, there's some lore. You get a little bit like where. She, it's the visage of some lady who poured poured hot oil over her face because she was too mm-hmm. beautiful. It's like Jesus, that's that's intense. Yeah, it's, it's real fucked up. You got to take that oil after you beat her back to uh, this uh, this dude who's frozen in a tree, or it's a tree who this dude who's been transformed into a tree that's frozen, and you have to let him pour the hot oil on himself yeah. uh, after you're done. Yeah, that's like but, a whole thing: the trees and the people and the yeah. Um, that boss was pretty fun though. Uh, it's, it's more of a, you know, 
dodge the projectile type fight. Um, it starts out as one of those like, you know, floating head and two hands, uh, which is common for like a 2D action game, but you're not actually, do like the hands aren't like swatting at you like they do in uh, one of the bosses in The Messenger, um, which is another game that I've covered on the show before. Uh, this one, they're shooting projectiles. And uh, this is the boss fight that teaches you that you can smack some of the, the glowing white and red uh, projectiles. And um, all of my training from Ocarina of Time and the Ganondorf fight uh, pay, came in handy here. Um, and then you can use this in the final boss fight if you remember what those projectiles look like. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then uh, I another interesting one uh was and I'm, it's another one that I can't pronounce uh Mequedius? <laughs> Mel Melchiades? Melchiades, Melchiades I guess yeah. I'm very I'm worse at Spanish than you I guess <laughs> but he's skeleton pope is what I yeah. called him the skeleton he's <laughs> it's it's the one where he's a skeleton and he's being held up by these extremely hairy arms yeah. like they are uh they're yeah. It's like Wolfman style, hairy yeah, arm. They're, and they they put a lot of like detail into the hair on those arms too, like the pixel art. It's it's pretty uh pretty gross. Um as someone with hairy arms myself, it's it's kind of gross. Um <laughs> but I like how you fight that that boss. You have to smack yeah. the arms because mm -hmm. you can't hurt the Pope, he's too high up, so you have to hit the arms until they fall and they'll drop him, and then you can go uh smack the skeleton pope. I died yeah. a lot in that fight in my replay. Oh, yeah. That was probably the hardest boss in the game for me. Really? I think because that he, was... he has this move where he has like that scepter and he stabs down with it yep. and it's really quick. So mm -hmm. like it punishes you for trying to get greedy hitting the arms. Like if you try to get one too many, you know, you're thinking to yourself, like I can probably get a couple more swings. No, you can't. He's going to smack you. And there's not a lot of wind up to that. Like it just kind of happens. Yep. Like, so you, you got to learn like, okay, arms smack, smack. Okay. Block, get ready for that. It's coming. And, uh, like, I guess probably like the, the symbolism there is kind of interesting. Like the concept, like the Pope is held up and untouchable until you like take his like procession out. Yeah. Something like that. So yeah. Uh, he was I just cool. love all around. Cool. Oh, dude, the, I mean, it goes without saying any people listening, like it goes without saying, if we're talking about a boss, just assume that the design is really fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like the, the snake, the snake is like awesome. And like, uh, I think it's Ser Serapis, which is probably Spanish for serpent. I would assume. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's like, he, you can see that his whole body isn't even like you're standing on his body to fight him. And in the background, his body's like curled around the mast of this giant ship. So you mm -hmm. just got to assume he's freaking enormous. Yeah. And he takes up most of the screen when you're fighting him. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't a very difficult fight. Like, especially if you did it after playing through the whole game, you kind of know the tricks and mm -hmm. when to do things. So he's yeah. he's not very hard. Yeah. One of my other favorite uh, bosses is um, Chrysanta, uh, which oh, yeah. is the, the second to last boss. I think this is the best like boss fight in the game. It's not the best design, but it's the it's the most challenging 
this is more of your final test. Actually, this is testing your melee combat um, abilities. Like you, um, you know, you're blocking and stuff like that. This is testing, like, do you actually get this uh, before you can go fight the last boss? Um, If you can parry, you can block every one of her attacks except for this i think she has a lightning attack that you can't block but it's not that hard to you know dodge if you're very good at parrying this fight's not that hard if you're okay at parrying this is really hard uh so my first playthrough this i probably fought her like 20 times before i beat her uh my second playthrough i beat her the second try cuz i remembered like parry everything learn her attacks. Uh, she can parry you, which is cool, but then you can parry her counterattack and then you can get your attack in. So like, it's not, it doesn't, you know, yeah, it doesn't end up being that hard if you remember how to parry. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it's, it's a cool, like scene. You're like on the rooftops. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, it feels like the last boss. And honestly, yeah. In my opinion, it's it is the kind of ultimate test of probably like I said more more your combat acumen for the game. The final boss is your test of like projectile bullet hell yeah. stuff. But yeah, uh, she's you know you've been doing melee combat basically the entire game, and she Chrysanta is the the real test uh, with that stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we'll talk about it a little bit in the endings, but Chrysanta kind of becomes a uh, a major player. For someone that through most of the game you don't like ever run into her, like that's the yeah. time you run into her. Yeah, she's she's the um, she's like the the final protector of the miracle. You know, uh, she's there to try to stop you from going in and fucking shit up. Um, and then yeah, I any of the endings and stuff that involve her, I didn't see, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to chat about that um, mm-hmm. before we do though. What do you think of the final boss uh, when you fight uh, the, um, uh, I forget his name, is Escribar? Is is that yeah. the baby or is that the final boss? No, Escribar is the baby. Escribar, the the last son or whatever, last son of the miracle, I think is mm-hmm. like his title. And he's like, he is the, he's not skeleton pope, he's real pope. Right, right. So... The final boss uh, starts out with a fight against a, um, you know, a dude throwing magic at you. Uh, He's really easy, I think, uh, but it's just the first phase of the fight. The second phase is um, where, as you've been collecting these um, masks in the second half of the game, um, should have meant, man, this is just a, a constant theme throughout the show, things I should have mentioned before the spoiler wall, but there are two halves of the game and they're both non-linear within those halves. So you do the first three bosses uh, in any order you want, then you can get through a door and then you can do the next set in any order you want. Um, as you're doing those those next sets, uh, this kind of face door is opening slowly as you do it, and it's revealing this like very unsettling like raw flesh looking face that's inside of it and that's the final boss from yeah from what i can tell it doesn't have eyelids because his eyes are just kind of always like bugging out 
Yeah. Yeah, that's but the I, final boss. <laughs> it's real gross. Yeah. Um, but this is like a bullet hell uh, mm-hmm. final test. And you'll get those projectiles from the uh, the Our Lady of the Charred Visage fight that you can smack back at it. And this is one of those fights where you have to um, you have to avoid the attacks. There's a sword floating around on the screen. You have to smack the sword. Once you do that, the doors will open and you can damage the actual boss. But what sucks is there's platforms on the screen that disappear at certain intervals. And sometimes it's just really hard to get up to the boss to hit him. Or you'll get up and you'll smack him two times and then the platform you're on will disappear. I still beat yeah. this my second try each playthrough. Like it... And I've heard some people say that this game, that this boss in particular is like frustratingly hard. And I did not have that experience. Um, he doesn't have a ton of health mm-hmm. if you have your, your uh, sword upgraded all the way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely like, so the, the biggest challenge of it is the whole platforming aspect because you have to, you know, like I said, you have to hit the sword and then you have to get up there. And then we talked about that technique earlier where you can kind of like get multiple hits in the air. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where it can kind of come in handy. But even then, still, like half the time I, I couldn't get that down. And you get like one, two hits. And then you got to rinse, repeat. And it's just, it's if anything, it's just, it takes a little bit of time. But I don't mm-hmm. know if I was ever felt particularly challenged by it yeah yeah it's because like the sword flying around is really easy to avoid and then it'll throw attacks of like the four elements at you but they have they're not that hard to dodge some of them you can hit away with your sword some of them will like fill up two-thirds of the screen but it's the same two-thirds of the screen every time so like once you get hit by it once you shouldn't ever get hit by it again it's just not that tough. It's just, I found it just more annoying because like the face door will be open and there are like sometimes like no platforms to let me jump up to it. Uh, so that's one that, you know, calling, you know, beams from heaven, lightning spell uh, would really help uh, mm-hmm. to do some damage. So yeah, not a great final boss though. Like the first phase of it, when you just like, you fight this like super elderly, like Pope looking dude and you just wreck his shit was kind of cool. Yeah. You kind of just go in there and like kick the crap out of him. And yeah, <laughs> I think even cause, cause in the, and we'll get, we're kind of getting close to that, but in the, in the wounds of eventide, eventide uh, DLC, there's actually a third phase. And okay. if you die from that, you go back. If I'm not mistaken, or maybe I did die once on the second phase, and you have to fight him as the little tiny Pope mm-hmm. again. And I felt like it was even easier the second time. Like they were like, "Okay, yeah, you know what you're getting to." So you that's just like good. Hit him twice, that's... and it's like get get back into the regular fight. Yeah, that's that's good because that's a super annoying thing a lot of games do with multi-phase uh, boss <laughs> fights. Thinking about like the last boss of Sekiro when you have to fight Genichiro every single time and he's a total pushover, but you have to do it every time before you fight like the really hard final boss and it gets super annoying. So that's glad that's good. I'm glad they 
kind of recognize like, hey, you you proved that you can do this. Just get back to the real part. Hit him twice and get to the part that you lost and yeah. try again. Exactly. So what's that third phase like uh, of in the Wounds of Eventide? It's, it's kind of a side-scrolling style fight where um, he become he's still a big red weirdo, but he's got like, <laughs> he's like God now and he's got flowy um, gray hair and he's still kind of just, it's side scrolling and he's kind of just floating around chucking projectiles at you and you're just kind of jumping up and hitting him. It, honestly, it wasn't very difficult. I think I beat it second try and the, uh, the reason was that I fell off one of the edges because it's mm-hmm. like side kind of scrolling like a uh, style fight. And, uh, and then basically after that, it's all, um, just like cutscene. So, okay. He, even after third phase, you don't, it doesn't like it. It doesn't like kick it up a notch. Honestly, in my opinion, it's just a different style of boss fight, but not anything difficult. That's kind of cool. I like, I wouldn't be mad at that if like the third phase isn't this insane challenge because you have to do those other phases beforehand. That's not bad. Um, yeah. So after you beat the final boss, uh, you basically go straight to your ending. And, uh, both times I played, I got the bad ending, which is called the sink into ash ending, uh, where, well, it's pretty it is what it sounds like it is. Uh, you beat the final boss. You start to walk up this mountain of ash, and there's something up at the top of it. Um, um, a throne. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. His throne, the main, That's what the I thought. Throne. The Pope's throne, right. So you're walking up there, but you sink into the ash and you die. And Deo Gracias comes and he takes your helmet away and puts it in the pile of, you know, thousands of other helmets just like it. So. I think that ending is like thematically cool. I think that's cool. Uh, and like, like I said at the beginning, the pile of the thousands of penitent ones who tried before you, I like that. That's cool. Uh, but that's considered the bad ending because you, well, you sunk into ash and died. You didn't get all the way to the throne. Um, did you get this ending or which one did you get? I received, I did the, the wounds of Eventide, which I don't know what the ending, if it has a name, it probably does. And I just don't know it, uh-huh. but, um, you have to do whole convoluted set of things. You have to beat the, we talked about that boss, um, behind the, the, the bone, like in the, in the ossuary. Yeah. yeah in the ossuary, Who's very difficult, like mm-hmm. kind of on par with Crisanta. Um, but also does kind of the bullet hell stuff. And you mentioned you tried it and it was, it was hard. And that was a, I took like, it was a 15 plus try. So you have to like beat her, beat the snake guy. Um, you have to find a tomb and you don't fight as Estradas, the little dude with the hammer that blocks the door. Oh Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I did that. So I didn't, I fought him my first playthrough. Um, mm-hmm. But then my second playthrough, I was trying for the Wounds of Eventide stuff. So I didn't fight mm-hmm. him the second time either. I don't remember that fight being special. 
uh, you like you know after you go through that door, you fight dudes with these big you know hammer looking things, and that's basically what that fight was was basically one of those guys uh, with probably some extra spells or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so kind of got off track there, but so you get to the ending and you basically you you make it to the top of the Ashen Tower, and I mm-hmm. think that's how the other good ending goes. But in yeah. this case, you like ascend into heaven. Um, I think they call it the other side of the dream. Okay. Which, and you you get there and you fight this, you know, the space pope, but he's red and floating and he has four <laughs> arms. Hell yeah. And, I'm in. Space Pope who's red and floating with four arms. Tell me, like, say no more. I'm in. There. Uh, <laughs> but so you, you you beat him, and then you basically meet the High Wills. You meet God, and then God tells you, you shouldn't be here. This is the <laughs> ultimate sin. Um, your name will be forgotten forever. You know, go fuck yourself. Hell yeah. And, That's... Catholicism 101 right there, right? Right. And <laughs> then Santa shows up and she basically says, yo, let's kill God. And yeah. you, so and Blasphemous you, is a JRPG. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. It's, it's everything <laughs> you've ever made. You kill God and you free the, I don't know. We might mention them a little bit. Maybe, maybe not the, the first miracle the kid who asked to be punished and he turned into a tree. Yeah. Yeah. So you like, you free him and then your Maya culpa, the sword like disintegrates. Okay. I think that means it's the end of your penance or the penitent one's penance. Sure. So then he, he dies and Dio Gracias and, uh, Crisanta put him in a stone tomb in the middle of a desert. Sure. And as you do, pray yeah, pray <laughs> over him, and then, dude, it, it gets weirder. I swear to God, it does. They pray <laughs> over him, and so I guess the penitent one's dead. And then I can't remember if the the credits roll, and then this happens. But the the last like scene is this giant semi translucent heart descends from the sky. And I swear to God, it sounds like I'm making this up, but you can watch it. And there's like sinew connecting it up to the sky. And inside of that is a full grown man, but like a giant one, like (laughs) in the fetal position over (laughs) what I'm assuming is Castonia. And then it just cuts to black. (laughs) Okay. So, all right. I know it sounds like I just had a fever dream. Yeah, this is uh yeah. <laughs> this is like the the best psychedelics mixed with an ambient dream all at the same time. This is good. Um yes, all right. I'll 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 have to go watch that on YouTube because that sounds fucking wild. Um it's in it. Yeah. Weird it. In the uh the regular game. So the 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 good ending of the base game kind of starts out the same. Um and I guess the way you get this is you have to do all the optional dungeons and you find these thorns uh, as rewards or something throughout the game. You have to upgrade, or there's one thorn that you upgrade, sorry. Um, and uh, I didn't do this. I didn't find a single way to upgrade the thorn uh, in my normal play style, so I didn't do this. 
Um, and I checked on Wikipedia for how to get the good ending. And uh, it said, upgrade the thorn. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. So I guess I'll never get the good ending. Um, but like you, you looked up how to do that, how to upgrade the thorn. I luckily found like a steam, uh, like forum okay. where someone had basically wrote it out and it has to do with, you talk about those dungeons. There's those statues that you have to like, that can relieve your guilt or whatever. Right. And I think, I think they're supposed to be of Escobar, Escribar. And dude, it's, it's so, there's no way you would be able to figure this out. Somebody did, obviously, but I yeah. don't feel like anyone else did. You have to destroy those that open, and then, well, you have to have a rosary item that you get, and then you have to die like three times while wearing it, and then it mm -hmm. becomes by sin. So then you destroy the statues while wearing that. You go into these, like, basically waves of enemy dungeons. So you're just mm -hmm. in a room, waves of enemies. And then you have to beat all of those? You have to destroy, like, there's like eight or nine of them throughout, okay. the, throughout the map. All right. And so... then I think that gives you the good ending. And that's yeah. also part of the eventide ending. You have to do that as well. Okay. Well, I 100% never would have figured that out. And so we'll put yeah. Blasphemous on the pile of games where in order to get the quote unquote good ending, you have to do some obtuse shit that a normal uh, player would never think to do or even find if they had the idea uh, to do it. So yeah, throw it's this weird. one on the pile. It's an interactable, interactable, I uh, can't speak item that like has a purpose in the game. So what made me think I should destroy that thing? Exactly. Like, yeah. Like where, where's that thought process? Or like, I never even thought that I could destroy that because I'm in that room. There's no enemies. Why would I be swinging my sword? You know, exactly. there's an so, X button to like pray at it and get your guilt forgiven. And then you yeah. fucking leave the room. That's how you normal people play games. Speaking of those guilt statues, I just thought of another uh, classic. Take a drink. Every time Dave says, uh, should have said this before the spoiler wall, but, uh, when you die, you leave your like kind of a, a ghost version um, of yourself and you have to go pick that up and that will uh, relieve your guilt. But uh, one thing I thought was cool was that also gives you a heal uh, when you do that. So like that was part of my boss strategy. If I died, I would like not pick that up right away and save it for when I need a quick heal, run over and grab that uh, was kind of cool. So, I don't think I ever I ever did that, but I, I I I do know like yeah you like got your your full health back for the most part right yeah it's it's either a full heal or it's a big one so yeah yeah that was part of my strategy um, the the good ending for the game which again I I looked this up on a wiki is um, so you upgraded your thorn all the way uh, you have. Um, done those optional dungeons you you beat the final boss you go up the mountain of ash um and you sit on the throne you take the mea culpa the sword you, and the penitent one stabs himself uh, which is cool just like the woman at the beginning of the game and uh you are kind of worshipped by the people of uh Sistodia as the uh the new uh pope basically the new father of the miracle or last son of the miracle, the new father, a you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, 
after the credits, uh, there's a scene where Chrysanta comes and she takes the mea culpa out from uh, the penitent one's body, which seems to me like it could set up, you know, Blasphemous 2, where you play as Chrysanta, um, similar to, uh, oh, fuck, I had a game in my head where this Hollow Knight, where uh, you're playing as a different character, uh, someone who works with you in alternate endings to, um, you know, do the deed. So yeah, that could be a cool thing uh, to play as, like, if they decide to make Blasphemous 2, which I think has actually been confirmed that they are doing that. Uh, it would be cool if you play as Chrysanta. Yeah, and I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but it definitely seems like the good ending in the original game and even the the convoluted ending in Wounds of Eventide sets it up to where Chrysanta is the main character in the next game because... Yeah. In the original one, she basically like takes the Maya culpa out and says, "You're going to be forgotten, and I'll be the one to be the next, you know, person that takes out the miracle or whatever." And then even in the the one where she kind of turns against the miracle, she's the one, you know, putting you to rest and like setting it up to be the good guy in the next one. Yeah, yeah, for sure, that would be cool, you know, or. If it's not Chrysanta, I have faith in this studio. They'll come up with something cool, you know. Um, yeah. At this point, Blasphemous 2 will probably be like, a, if not like a day one buy, uh, like, a, well, if not a day one buy, definitely like pretty soon after it comes out. Because um, I can't wait to see what this studio comes up with for a sequel. Because uh, this... I mean, it just, <laughs> the ideas at work in this, uh, in this game, Blasphemous are insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these, uh, the, it's definitely on my radar now. Like well, we were talking about like Silk Song, the Hollow Knight sequel, which yeah. Lord knows when that's going to come out. Um, if like, if it's not out, I think Blasphemous 2 is maybe slotted for 2023. So yep. if, Silk Song's not out before 2023. This will be one that I pick up right away if I'm yeah. not like already playing Silk Song or something. Yeah, I find it really hard to believe that uh, Blasphemous 2 won't also be really cool. Uh, you know, even if they don't do a lot to change the gameplay, I would play the same game with different character designs and stuff like that. Like, I'm I'm here for that kind of stuff. So I'm excited about that. They've also pretty much proven that they can take a game that came out in 2019 and people were like, yeah, it's all right, but it could use some improvements. And then they did it and it was yeah. good. So they've kind of proven they can almost already do a sequel. Yeah, for sure. So I am excited about that. We'll, uh, we'll, I'll definitely be watching for like more information, release date and, uh, you know, kind of story set up for blasphemous too, but I'm excited about it. So definitely. Cool. Well, uh, let's wrap this one up. Chris, thanks for coming on, dude. It's been a blast talking about Blasphemous with you. Blasphemous, that's a good one. <laughs> so that was uh, not intentional. You know, I think I'm okay at this, but I'm not I'm not that good. Not yet. <laughs> oh, it's awesome being back on. And like I said, I, I definitely, uh, I love talking video games with people, especially ones that like maybe don't touch me in a way that like some of the more 
nostalgia games of the past, but definitely left an impact on me for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't think blasphemous is a game that's like, you know, it's not, Oh, it's not changing the way I think about video games other than, uh, you know, having just the coolest character designs ever, you know, uh, but it is a it is a fun game and it's it's good to talk about this stuff and talk about gameplay stuff that this game does that's pretty unique or ways that they've kind of worked on existing formulas before so yeah good uh good good conversation thanks again for coming on and uh everyone else stay tuned for the next game that comes out of the backlog see you next time Check me out.